steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Hunter Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow, he's going to make Sports Center with an incredible Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game, East Tennessee State's going to leave on another They got him. Fight. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you it doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff, and you still have no talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Wednesday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher. Another exciting edition of Sandos and the Sidekick as we look at women's basketball, men's basketball. Both took on Appalachian State on Monday and Tuesday, respectively. We're going to talk football, lots of it. We'll talk ETSU football, what uh, moving in the offseason, maybe some positions of needs. Uh, obviously, there's only so much recruiting stuff we can talk about until uh, people are signed on the dotted line. And last but not least, a look at the playoffs. They're finally out there, and we'll talk about our thoughts. Number one, how the brackets sort of shaped up. Maybe one or two who got left out, surprises we got left in, and maybe a look at some intriguing matchups and certainly who we think maybe uh, can make a run. Does part of the football conversation center around me crushing you and destroying your perfect season in fantasy football? Uh, we can get there. We can. We That's can get exciting. There. That's a fifth segment that will be about an hour and a half long if I have anything to say about it. <laughs> so I'm, uh, it's really, really awesome you're still in second place. All right, here we go. Let's uh, talk a little women's hoops. You were there on Monday night, and certainly ETSU got off to a good start, led by 10, and it looked like a little bit in the fourth quarter. App State made a little bit of a run, but ETSU did a good job of just pushing it further out, kind of maintaining that uh, five- to eight-point lead and uh, walked away with a 67-61 victory. Well, ETSU had nine healthy bodies, as we talked about, was going to be the case for what's likely to be at least the next four to six weeks with Erica Haynes-Overton out. Jada Craig ruled out indefinitely. So it was Micah Sheets, Shania Jackson, Kaya Upton, Amaya Adams, and Elise Stafford for the third consecutive game in the starting lineup. And then four off the bench, Ariel Harvey, Tiana Kimbrough, Gabby Brown, and Sierra Perdue. And, I'm pretty weak-minded, you know that. Uh, so if I were one of the players that was on the floor for the Bucks or riding the bus knowing that I was one of nine healthy bodies, I'd start to look around and be like, yikes, going to have to play a lot of minutes, maybe start to play a bit tighter because you know there's a little bit more on your shoulders. Thankfully, that was not the case for Division One successful athletes like the Buccaneers on Monday who did go and get a 67-61 to win over the Mountaineers. And they were just tired in the fourth quarter. And I don't think you can blame them because you have Kai Upton playing all 40 minutes. You have Micah Sheets playing 36. And that's how it's going to be for these horses the rest of the way, at least until the end of the non-conference season, you would think they're going to have to put up those kind of minutes. If Erica Haynes-Overton comes back, that will definitely help. But at most, 10 people is what ETSU is going to have. And so there's very little leeway for anyone to have another injury or get sick. Amaya Adams was very sick on the bus ride there and uh, clearly was not uh, at 100% going into the game, but you wouldn't even have been able to tell if you looked out at her effort. And she didn't score, but was out there for 28 minutes guarding the ball and getting rebounds, a couple of assists as well. So really gutty effort from her and then all but 
four of the points that ETSU had came from the other four starters. Micah Sheets in double figures for the 10th time in 11 games. Shania Jackson, you and me both know that she can do what she did on Monday. 19 points, 3 of 6 from outside, 8 of 13 from the floor, 7 rebounds to go along with a career-high 19 points. Elise Stafford, career-high 14 points. She showed up hitting two threes, also had five rebounds, and then Kaya Upton, her second game in double figures this year. So those four were absolutely massive. Micah, I don't think there's any doubt that she was the most aggressive that she's been since Erica Haynes-Overton has been out. She drew 14 fouls and was 10 of 14 at the line. Good to see that from her as she's settling into more of a creator role. She was often the spot shooter, that off-ball type player. And interesting to see, she's actually 0 of 7 from outside since Erica Haynes-Overton went down. So she's had to make an adjustment and be more of that attacker. She did it excellently last night. Shania Jackson knocked down her open shots. And Elise Stafford was very good, as we said. And another good thing to see, while ETSU is size deficient inside, they had a couple of really big blocks specifically laid on. So doing it on both ends, and even though dynamics have changed, to get that win in that third game without Erica, absolutely huge. A couple things. One, let's start. I'm going to start with a negative so I can just work back positively. Free throw shooting the third quarter gave me some spectacular uh, thoughts because six of six, I thought, okay, here we go. They've sort of turned the corner. And then all of a sudden, a two for six in the fourth quarter. That's still trying to put teams away, right? That's my negative. The, the positive players are going, that, that are starting to figure this out. When you get Erica Haynes Overton, how much will that help the team overall grow? Will Erica Haynes Overton come back and get her shots? Absolutely. You know, will this help teams and players maybe develop a little quicker, maybe figure things out? Maybe Micah Sheets can do more than just sit over there and shoot threes now, right? Maybe there's some other players that have just figured out. Kyle Upton can figure out, you know what? I can also have seven rebounds something that eric haynes overton would do i can pick up three four five six assists in a game you know i can stay 40 minutes and try to guard the best uh, player on the other team so i think there's some positives sometimes when things like this happen right people figure it out and you know the first game they look lost game two looked a little bit better they're figuring out last night looked pretty good so they're getting better they're starting to figure it out there's a lot of things i like i i enjoy anytime you see i don't know they can live like this but when you see you know stafford and jackson out there knocking down triples left and right too i I think man you know they go inside they go out there and hit a few three think about how that stretches things out i'm still i'm gonna harp on this i think harvey is just going when a couple starts going down for her i think she's going to be fine I think for whatever reason, they're, they're just not going down. If she can get a couple to go down to go with how some of the other players have started to come around, then I think you know it's just going to help. Everything's going to help, and everything is growing. Everything's a maturation process. As you've mentioned, you're weak-minded. We clearly know I'm weak-minded. You know, We would have a hard time, I think, dealing with this. I think the three games, and if you can step aside and look at it and assess it, and again, we're closer than most people, but – if you sit there and assess what happened, you know, first game afterwards, second game afterward, now now you're starting to see some things that you have to be excited about. Yeah, I think the progression that you talked about, that Radford game was just going to be tough. You know, you're a bit shell-shocked, and it's also an early in the day game there were a lot of things that ETSU was either expecting or not expecting that came together circumstantially that worked against them 43 points was the second fewest in the Brittany Azell era and when you lose 22 points per game and you lose by 24 it's not hard to do the math that without Eric Haynes Overton they were just hurting there and really just didn't have it for a lot of that day then 
against UNC Asheville. Really, it was kind of that second half and, and just couldn't get over the hump in the fourth quarter once they cut it to 10 a couple of times. Really, though, you look at the three games and the first two and a half, three quarters have been really good efforts from the team, but it has been about figuring out how to finish. Who do you look to lay down in a game to hit the shots that you need? Or when you're down eight or 10, how do you get over the hump? And for a team that was without an on-floor leader, quote-unquote, it's not to say that Micah Sheets can't lead and that there's not others out there that have that quality, but when you have a player like Erica Haynes-Overton who is starting to get looks from agents and teams professionally after that 41-point game against the University of Tennessee – it's just natural, and you can be strong-minded, weak-minded. It's just natural. It's human instinct to say, wow, what do we do now? And not really know when you're going from a Monday where you have hurricanes over to a Thursday morning where you don't, what, 48, 72 hours later, 60 hours later, whatever it was, to be a little slow to go and how to figure out things specifically offensively and even on the defensive end. This team isn't going to take the ball away nearly as much. We've already seen that. So they're developing more of a down-low presence on the defensive end with Lee Stafford and Ariel Harvey. And what I thought was really good to see was Tiana Kimbrough. It wasn't great to see her not scoring any points and be out there only 11 minutes, but someone that was so good in the last few games not really show up. There were people there to fill her shoes. When Shania Jackson had a bad game, it was Kimbrough stepping in for her and vice versa now. So it has been a progression, and the progression this time around was how do we finish, how do we put a game away. And when Pre Stanley, who got absolutely on fire in that fourth quarter and scored 17 and was really taking over. Got Appalachian State within six, then within four. ETSU banded together, got a big three from Shania Jackson, and then got the really, I think, nail in the coffin, the layup from Elise Stafford with about six seconds left to make it a seven-point game. That put everything out of reach. So uh, awesome to see Stafford and Jackson have career nights. Upton really well-rounded with the 10.7 rebounds and three assists, and then Sheets, of course, the 20. Uh, I've also been very encouraged. Just one more point for me. Bailey Plummer came in as a top 10 rebounder in the country. She was sixth in the nation in rebounding last year, and she's a really solid down-low presence. We saw her last year, saw her this year. She looks in a lot better shape this year, has really taken um, the, I think, conditioning side of it seriously and, and looks very athletic out there. ETSU shut her down, just like they did with Sydney Nunley against Radford, and Nunley was more of an offensive presence. They completely eliminated her from the game, and then Plummer last night, one point and seven rebounds. So, the Bucks are, despite being smaller down low aside from Kimbrough, again, who was only out there 11 minutes, they're finding ways and they're stepping up and they're taking it as an opportunity rather than as a detriment that Erica Haynes Overton's out. I, I think that's the thing. I mean, can they figure out roles? Can they, you know, it's tough when you have a big injury. You see it time and time again. A leader goes down the next game, t- any sport, team looks a little lost. All right. Then they start to understand roles they start to figure out who can do what okay how do we step up how do we make up for that you know everybody can chip in and make up for Erica Haynes Overton nobody can be Erica Haynes Overton right so I think that's the that's the encouraging thing I think some simple things they were able to do they certainly played better as a team they shared the ball a little better the confidence level seemed to be there again just just watching and listening just uh watch some of the game listen to you most of the game so I, I a lot to be encouraged by I think free throw shooting is still going to hamper them, and they're going to have to, especially in a situation where, you know, before you're down 10 or 12 there, Kane's Overton, you maybe got a shot because all the things she can do defensively. I don't know this team without her down 12 with two or three minutes to go have a shot, right? But in the same token, this team can up 
10 points can put a team away if they could just simply knock down some free throws. And one thing they've been able to do this year a lot is get to the free throw line. And I, I love that because, you know, those are supposed to be easy points, right? Number one, uh, it's a chance to score with nobody really defending you. Number two, you foul trouble, right? It changes the game. Get people out of the game. Get them not what they want to do. They're not as aggressive maybe as they want to be. So there's a lot to be said for that type of mentality that Coach Zill and her team has had so far this year. 122 free throws in the first four games attempted. Eighth in the nation. Then those next couple of games, like we talked about, just trying to figure out roles and who's going to do what. 21 free throws attempted between those two. But last night when they really started to gel – 20 free throws and as you said those are easy points and they hit 12 of their first 16 and they've already hit 75 percent or better in a game four times this year only six times last year yeah so i i think that's the way they got to go about it right um if you have to go one by one you know two by two or three by three but those ones add up especially again because of the dual thing you get somebody foul trouble able to score i think they got to do i think they have to continue to be aggressive i think the problem the first game they weren't aggressive and i think just your free throw stats probably prove that more than anything else just the aggressive maybe not there continuity or it could be a few things right just gelling continuity who's doing what somebody's not in the right spot you know because for the most part there's not a whole lot of people as you know erica's in her role right. you know what's going on everybody else doing their own thing now it's like okay well, what do we do on this so I, I think there is some of that but figure it out i think the other thing is going to help they get three straight home games yes uh, and get a chance you know they play two good teams too two home games on the road at app state back for three more and they are certainly quality opponents in davidson wake forest and cleveland state but they get a chance to do some stuff in a, in a friendly environment and all that before they go on the road for a couple of tough ones as well Troy and Georgia Tech. I'm hoping this Thanksgiving gives them a little bit of time to rest and recover because Ariel Harvey, you mentioned, I'm impressed with her simply because she's battling through that ankle injury she suffered last week against Radford Thursday, and she was limping heavily coming off the court in early in the fourth quarter, I believe it was, late third quarter, early fourth quarter, and she was still out there for 20 minutes and had the only four bench points that ETSU was able to get and did get a couple of blocks, a couple of rebounds, and an assist. So she's maybe not hitting all the shots that are coming her way, but she's also shooting off an injured foundation. You know, that ankle's like 50 or 60%, but she's still out there giving her team minutes. Same thing Amaya Adams did last night. So hopefully these four days that ETSU will have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday before Davidson, and then Wake Forest is another long layoff. I think it's six days between those games a great chance for the bucks to get to as close as they can get at least to 100 percent. yeah it'll be interesting to see i think it is uh, a great opportunity they're starting to figure it out better place to do it at home again competition steps up a little bit over the next three weeks as opposed to the previous three games but still as they grow competition grows i think it's only going to make them better if hurricanes overton comes back if she doesn't they figured out life without her and they'll be their own team own identity that's a look at the etsu women's basketball versus appalachia state we'll talk about the men's game last night right after this time out here we're from Santa sidekick on the bucket here sports network over the last 70 years johnson city power board has had a few different looks but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on now we've changed our name to bright ridge to match our vision to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com.
Sanders and the sidekick back with you. Segment two, we'll talk football three and four. We'll focus on ETSU, who's off the roster, who's coming back, who's graduated, all that good fun stuff. We'll take a look at that. We'll also talk a little bit FCS playoffs. We're excited about it, and uh, I guess we'll give you some predictions in the first round, actually, because we're so good at predicting we things. We do love predictions, don't and we? And we are so great at it. We like predicting things. Self-loathing right at this point, a, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we did hear in the first segment, ETSU beat Appalachian State women's basketball, the second set. Sweep. Of the home and home, if you will. Let's go. Well, let's just take away all the drama. I guess everybody knows this next day. ETSU victorious over Appalachian State on the men's side, 78-69. Three guys in double figures. Vonnie Patterson getting his first career start. 14 rebounds. Another solid outing by Lucas Gasson. Trey Boyd led him with 22, and Bo Hodges, just a ho-hum 19-point game for him as usual. Great way to celebrate your birthday for Ronnie Patterson. And he said post-game, we don't have any audio from Vonnie or Trey Boyd or Coach Forbes, but we'll reference a lot of it throughout our talk here in segment number two here on this Wednesday. And happy Thanksgiving, folks, by the way. A little bit early. have to thank that. I know you're very ready to get fat tomorrow. I am. Fatter, sorry. I was going to say fatter. Vonnie Patterson, first start. And he wasn't very active offensively, but he said post-game that he was very ready. He knew for a couple of days that Jeromey Rodriguez wasn't going to play because he is in concussion protocol. And so it was very important for him to step in and try and be a force on the glass and make up for what uh, is left by Jeromey Rodriguez as one of the best rebounders in the country. And he absolutely did that. He had 12 rebounds in like the first 22 or 23 minutes, slowed down a bit late on, but ended up with 14 rebounds and three points. And it's just so encouraging every time the Bucks trot into the court that there's different guys stepping up. And even with your when you're without one of your best players, Jeromey Rodriguez, a force on the glass, that you get 14 from Vonnie Patterson, you get nine from Lucas Gusson, you get seven from Bo Hodges, and you end up out-rebounding Appalachian State by eight. Time and again, this team has impressed me early on with that quote-unquote next-man-up mentality. I hate to be cliche, but it's the one that Randy Sanders uses, Steve Forbes uses, and truly, Vonnie Patterson was that next-man-up last night. Well, I think you you really can see that the depth of the team, and the, I mean, again, the, the team is not just deep, but so versatile. At one point in time, Vonnie Patterson was the five-man, Bo Hodges was your four. I mean, talk about going with a small lineup. And then they could still do a situation where they go, you know, the, the, the twin seven-footers in there at some point, Goussaint, Corley, you know, obviously with the Rodriguez. But Vonnie Patterson's one of those guys that can guard about any position, one through the five. I mean, I'm sure he'd prefer not to guard the five, but he could go really anywhere between there. Hodges can go one through four. Tisdale can almost go one through four, depending on uh, how big the power forward is. But, I mean, you're talking about all of that. Then offensively, who, who's going to beat you? You know, is it going to be Pat Good like it was a couple nights ago, Lucas Casson a couple nights ago? Is it going to be Trey Boyd, Bo Hodges? You know, Vonnie Patterson has yet to kind of found his shooting stroke. We've seen Isaiah Tisdale have huge scoring games. We know Damian Williamson can lead the team in scoring. You know, Joe Hughley's a guy that, that – offensively is very skilled for a four-man. So there's a lot of things that I think make you excited for the team. I think free throw shooting took a little bit of a step back, and the turnover's late. That's the only concerning thing. It seems like ETSU has no trouble putting points on the board and kind of running away early with it. It's sort of finishing the game and making a 12-point game a 20-point game as opposed 
to a 12-point game, back to a four-point game, you know, then get it to like nine or ten for a victory. Well, I think we have to delineate between a couple of things. I don't think it's so much finishing in those last four or five minutes, but it's running away from a team when you go into the second half up eight or ten, or you do build a near double-figures lead or a double-figures lead, and it's those really next ten minutes, right? Like 15 minutes to five minutes left in the second half, and that was the case last night. You had a lead that was ten at the half, and you come out, and Appalachian State just kind of hangs around and hangs around. And defensively, I don't know if there's a few lapses for ETSU, but able to close the gap are the Mountaineers and get it down to at one point, I believe it was two, when O'Shawn Williams had like 20 of the 55 points that Appalachian State had scored at that time. Thankfully, ETSU in the last few minutes able to streak away with it. They hit seven of their last nine field goals. So I don't know if it's so much, and Coach Forbes terms it as finishing games as well. When I think finishing games, I think the last four or five minutes, really I think you could finish it a lot earlier if you continue to execute how you do in those first 20 or so minutes yeah and and to be a little bit fair southern utah is a pretty good team and i I don't know appalachian state they got some nice pieces they're still trying to figure it out we'll kind of see how they go but i think southern utah is going to be sort of a force and i think you know you look at winthrop good basketball team in their league you look at southern utah good basketball team you look at appalachian state Delaware State, you know, they ran away from. And Southern know. Utah was the same way. Ten-point lead at the half, right. but then Southern Utah comes back a little bit. So I'm kind of curious to see, you know, is that a uh, is it a mark of them being a good team and being able to battle but not getting over the hump? Because nobody's gotten over the hump. You know, they've been able to whittle it down, but ETSU has been a better team to not give up the lead and to continue to hang on to that and then pick up the victory. I'm kind of curious, is it going to be a situation where maybe the upper echelon, they're, they're just going to be able to kind of uh, kind of stiff arm them, keep them at bay, and then against teams that they should win, will they just go ahead and run them out of the building? And then Winthrop is another one. You bring, you bring up good games to build the example and the point about just early on in that second half being able to put your foot on their throat. 34-25 to against Winthrop with 1948 to go after a pair of Lucas Goussaint free throws, and then the Eagles rattle off like what nine of the next 10 or something like that and it's tied at 35 so yeah there are a few I'd say holes there at that particular portion of the game which is unfortunate but it's also nice to see ETSU when the rubber really needs to hit the road late on in those last five or six minutes they're able to go and close out a game when it really does matter now Kansas was the one exception right but that's a Jayhawk team inside Allen Fieldhouse that is darn near unbeatable in Bill Self's tenure there specifically against non-conference opponents so when you're down by five with six minutes to go I think that's kind of the exception to the rule and it's an exception to the rule that everyone around the program outside the program I think is going to be okay with they're not going to look at that and say oh that defeats the whole point because look at what we did against Kansas now there's three games where there's solid evidence that you've got a big lead one where you could either streak away by 15 or 20 or the other team's going to come back and it's gone the other way and they've all been against pretty good mid-major opponents I'd say Winthrop's probably the best of the three maybe Southern Utah a close second and then Appalachian State maybe a little bit more distant third but one point I want to make before we move on or go on to our next point is Lucas Goussaint I mean he consistently over these last four games, I think he's double figures three of the last four. He's playing his best basketball as a collegiate. I don't think there's any question about that. And it's when the Bucks have needed him to be big. You need a little bit of a spark on the road. Lucas Goussaint early on hits a three, 11 points and seven rebounds against Kansas. Then a career high against Southern Utah with 18 points. Then last night, another 14 points with nine rebounds. And Coach Forbes had a very interesting comment post game. He said, it's not really 
the coaches that get on Luke so much. It's more about Luke and how he feels about himself. And is he confident? And is he kind of doing some self-defeating and tearing himself down? When he gets down on himself, that's when he struggles. If he doesn't do that, you've seen the results over the last four. He do, he, he tends to pout. Uh, there's some th- things don't go his way. You know, if he if he makes a couple of mistakes, uh, you can tell he's really. It's not so much. You'd rather a guy take care of himself or, or, or feel that way about himself as opposed to sort of the situation where um, uh, they're looking at a teammate, yelling at a teammate, doing things with that. So I think to me, he's kind of doing that to himself. But he's playing very good basketball right now. He's got that the shooting stroke is unbelievable from the free throw line. It's the pretty point shooting. It's pretty. I mean, isn't it? he, he's got great touch for a big man, and. and to me, it's only going to get better with him. You get him in there with, with uh, really anybody. Get him there, Vonnie Patterson. You get him there with Jeremy Rodriguez. So I, I think there's a lot of quality things that Lucas Gasson has been able to do and turn a corner with this team. To me, I think another key piece is Trey Boyd and how he even used the term himself, matured. Yeah. And how he's able to score all three levels, you know, shooting to three, mid-range jumper, getting to the basket. Now he's starting to get to the free throw line, and now people are collapsing on him. His assist numbers are going up, and to me that's a great sign for that young man. I don't know about you, but I think the difference is noticeable in his game from last year even to this year in terms of the maturation process. And I've talked about it a couple of times in terms of his passing and really threading it into tight areas. ETSU has had consistent guys when it comes to feeding the basketball to others and playing unselfishly. Trey Boyd, to me, was always kind of that person where there was a question as to whether or not he was going to be one of those people to be able to fit in. And so when it comes to Trey Boyd and his maturation in that way, I don't think there's any doubt that he's come a long way already. 22 points last night with those four assists and the two rebounds. And not every assist is necessarily super flashy, Jay, but the ones that are really pop your eyes and the ones that aren't and are just your standard everyday pass are really just as important as those other plays. He even said at post game, he says in the past, say back to his freshman year. And honestly, I think even to his junior year, it's not to disparage Trey because he's a heck of a player, but even to his junior year, I think there would be times and he said it himself about his freshman year that on a night like last night, he would be selfish and maybe take 18, 19, 20 shots and force it a little bit. But yesterday, 12 shots. And he made seven of them. And he got 22 points off those 12 shots. That is efficiency. He only took eight threes. And on a night like that for Trey, that is an only number because I think it would be 13 or 14 if he wasn't as mature of a player as he is now as a senior. Makes four of them and goes four for four from the line. So I think it's noticeable in his game the things that have changed. I think it's key for the team because he can be a 13, 14, 15 point per game guy. Even more than that, if a night dictates as it did last night, but he can also have a Bo Hodges go for 19 on 7 of 14 with 7 rebounds, and Lucas Goussaint with 14 and 9, and mixing in Isaiah Tisdale in the little offensive ways that you can. So I think really important the maturation that he has had. Jay uh, literally got up and left the studio just now. He's going to come back here in just a second, but a few other things as we move forward for ETSU men's basketball. The tests don't necessarily stop with what we just had against Appalachian State, Southern Utah, and Kansas. And the team, I think it's clear to see, and they'll tell you this even, maybe a bit fatigued after the three games in four days. They played four and seven. They get this Thanksgiving break off. Coach Forbes said, Cracker Barrel. 
going to be the place they go for the Thanksgiving meal, Cracker Barrel, which will be interesting to see how Cracker Barrel on that day deals with that uh, amount of clientele, certainly. Uh, so Cracker Barrel on Thanksgiving, then at Arkansas Little Rock, uh, Jay and the team are going to take off, I believe it was Friday, pretty early on, about 8 a.m. is when they have to leave campus to go and get the flight then. Just like that, you've got the Citadel on December 4th, your first Southern Conference game, which I am just glad this year it's the Citadel and not, say, a Wofford like it was last year or a Furman or a UNCG. Good to have you back, by the way. But SoCon play is just two games away. So uh, alarm, uh, backdoor alarm, ADT, police was at the house. Oh, wow. Else, uh, and, and Everything okay? Yeah. Uh, okay, good. Uh, my kids were playing on the back porch. My guess is because the wind's blowing a lot, they didn't quite shut it well. Doors open, mm. so didn't say it's about a, kids will be kids. I, I don't know, it's like seventy five dollar fine or something. Ouch. Anyway, uh, so uh, nobody's broken in the house. Everything's good. But uh, when I just no, talked about Trey Boyd. When, when the police call you in the middle of the show, I just thought, you know, maybe I probably need to take that call. I hope you have priorities. I probably need to take that call. I don't think they're the um, right priorities, but okay. And and uh, the the first thought was, uh, if they're coming to get me, they just come get me, right? So I thought I was good there. Thought it was good there. It was nothing I had done. I've seen it was. Okay, so... Catching you up. I talked about Trey Boyd and then kind of preview the next couple of games. Well, that's great because I think Little Rock's going to be a solid uh, opponent. They've uh, got some talented scores. I think that's going to be a very interesting matchup. Um, then they come home, right? Before yeah. Citadel? Yes. And, uh, Coming home before Citadel. They can and go then to the Citadel long and road swing. The long road swing. swing. Citadel so they get, they get a little bit of uh, uh, breath. Uh, I think it's dead week, too. So it's dead week. Uh, the week before finals, if people aren't familiar with that term, so that that'll be dead week when they make the long six day trip. I believe we are five day trip. We're going to go Tuesday, spend the night. Conference game, which is always awkward in December, it's Citadel. But I was saying, I was glad it was not Wofford this year. Oh yeah, totally agree. Because that was unfortunate last year. Just I always enjoyed when it was Western. No offense to Western, but I always <laughs> enjoyed when it's Western yeah. to get open up the year. And the Bucks did that for two or three years in a row, and then somehow they switched around. But he gets Citadel, and then a very very good opponent in North Dakota State that returned a lot of guys. You did that game last year. I uh, listened to you on the way over uh, for the playoff game a year ago. But they returned, I think, almost every single player off that squad i think they only had one new guy and i, I could be incorrect but uh I, well at least the, the top scores and such they returned but i think they even returned a lot of role players i mean there, there should have been a lot of familiar names for you uh when you take a look at that contest on the road fargo the temperature change might be the besides the temperature change, be chilly up there buddy. the toughest thing oh the high is supposed to be 20 i've already looked it up uh, we go from about 62, I think, in Charleston, uh, the early outlook, to uh, 24, I think it was, in North Dakota. Yeah, well, that's actually Fargo. kind of balmy for this time of year up in Fargo. Yeah. Yeah, uh, very warm. Bust out your Bermuda so shorts if you're weather? local. Well, for people that are up there, yes. For you, I think yeah. you might want to pack a parka. Okay. Yeah. So losses to Kansas State, Utah Valley, and Stony Brook this year for North Dakota State. Talked to Kevin Brown, Sports Information Director for ETSU Men's Basketball, before we came on the show today, and he said – He's been a bit surprised with North Dakota State in terms of not maybe performing up to the level that they would have thought for themselves. But they are 5-3, and three, and those aren't necessarily bad losses up and down the board. They've also got double-digit wins over Texas a m Corpus Christi, Idaho, um, yeah, Mayville State. So it, we'll see what they have. I wasn't overly impressed last year, but it was a game they that— They just returned a lot, and it's tough sometimes, especially in today's climate because— the attrition of people just transferring or going or coaching to just to get six seven guys back that played you know that, that didn't either graduate transfer academic whatever the issues are to get like six or seven or seven or eight your top scores back like etsu's done is very hard to do And when you do that people do assume like hey they're going to be pretty daggone good 
because they got another year together, they're playing together, they don't have to learn on the fly as much. But I, I just, for whatever reason, has translated up North Dakota State. I would say this: I would. It's still a very dangerous game for ETSU to go up there. I would love any of the games that are coming up for the Bucks to end the way and unfold the way that that one did against North Dakota State because it was an early lead. It was thirty-nine to twenty-seven at the half after it started out kind of close in the first eight or so minutes, and the Bucks kind of pulled away, and it never got below eight after that. That would be nice to have that comfort level with, again, any of the games coming up. Was, was that the uh, DeAndre Bernard siding? That game? The near bring down the entire goal and yeah. the building with That's a huge alley-oop okay. that he actually missed, unfortunately. But, yeah, yeah. that would have been huge. Okay. That I, I just been thought, I thought, I, thought I remember that right. All right, so there we go. Uh, good news is no one's really broken into my house, and we uh, got a uh, ETSU basketball dub in over Appalachian State. Saturday, women, uh, 2 o'clock. That game will be on the ESPN platform. Davidson. Everybody hates Davidson if you're around here. No oh, okay. SoCon. If you're an old SoCon fan, you hate Davidson. That's it's fair. just what you do. And then, of course, uh, the men, 3 o'clock pregame show, 2.30. Little Rock, uh, 3 o'clock tipped on there. Three straight road games and then back for the next home matchup against Milligan, which should be uh, – God, you look at the next four, and if you go into LSU 10-1, and one, I mean, let's play. That would be a lot of fun to head into that building for a team that's been right on the outside of the top 25 the last couple of weeks with a chance to pull an upset. And I think regardless of how the next couple of games go, there's a chance to pull an upset. But if you go in 10-1, and one, that has almost kind of a marquee feel to it if you do win your next four, which I think all four are winnable. I agree. I think all four winnable. You're sitting there, if you could get there, what's that, 10-1? Uh, and one? Yep. I mean, you look at... Start of the school, we're talking about maybe one of the best starts in school history as far as that goes. And we know the Bucks uh, have had 16-game win streaks before, so clearly not trying to get down that path right this second. But to go 10-1 and one, the first part of the season, I think, certainly would speak volumes and would uh, send a message. If and, and I don't know that the ETSU sneaking up on anybody. They're getting a lot of love on the mid-major, uh, not just the polls that are out there, but certainly a lot of the – the powers to be and the bracketologists and all that stuff. And if they don't, you don't worry. The Buck faithful will hammer them immediately and let them know about it. But I, I think the Bucks get off ten and one. If people weren't weren't quite sure, I think they'll know exactly where ETSU standing at that point. So that'll do it. Well, uh, ETSU men's basketball Let's talk football. ETSU football, maybe a little on conference, all that other stuff. But we're going to go through a thorough breakdown of all the position groups and let you know who's coming back, what's it looking like, our thoughts on that, needs for the team. And I'm sure Randy Sanders will take none of, none of it under advisement. But you know what? We're going to do it anyways because it's fun. It's our show. Sanders Sidekick, right after this on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Sanders and his sidekick back with you. Just wrapped up men's and women's basketball Appalachian State. Talking a little football next two segments. The first one, ETSU football itself, sort of uh, a position breakdown. And we'll I'm not sure exactly how in depth we'll go. We'll try to go, but basically try to look at who's who's not coming back. Now again, there's always defections and academics and everything that 
it's not going to be exactly right here in a few weeks. But for right now, what we know, uh, who is losing, who's coming back, maybe talk about some positions of need. Then we'll talk a little FCS playoffs. We'll break that down for you. Um, talk a little bit just the, the bracketing, the seeding, SOCON team sort of thoughts on maybe the first couple rounds. And it seems like yet another collision course uh, set up for I have lots Mass of and North Coast. Oh, I have okay, lots good. of thoughts. All right, good. I'm excited. Well, good. Maybe we'll fly through this. Well, let's start with the number one position everybody's going to talk about. It's quarterback. I mean, that's the, the one thing. And you know, all right, I, I'm a, you know, Cam Lewis transferred. So he's gone. Uh, Chance Thrasher is out of eligibility now with some injury things. I don't, I don't know. I think he could seek a sixth year, if I'm not mistaken, mm. because he missed two full, and he was a starter. Usually if you're a starter and get hurt game one and you're out for there, and the way they football has sort of did this, it seems like to me he might be able to do that. Now, does he want to do it at ETSU? Does he want right. to do it somewhere else? You don't know. But I, I think he would be eligible for a sixth year if he so chooses. Cade Weldon would be another candidate for a sixth year at some point. Now, that being said, he's going to be – technically a redshirt junior uh but still could play three we'll just have to see how that goes but Cade Weldon's on the roster you look at a couple of sophomores in Ford Cooper and Travion Houston then you look at Trey Mitchell redshirt junior at that point and then still a redshirt freshman because they only played the four games Tyler right out safe to say positions up for grabs I mean I don't know how else you could look at it and that I think is an encouraging thing for a lot of young men. I think for Cam Lewis for a little while, that was an encouraging thing as well until it turned into a not encouraging thing when he did not get the spot. And I don't know how things went behind the scenes. And I don't want to speculate on it either, but bottom line was... Just seemed like you want to play quarterback. There was, it Is seemed like fair? there was some frustration okay. there that he didn't get to play quarterback and was not the number one surefire guy, despite the fact that he was getting some snaps and even through for a touchdown. So with him gone, I mean, Trey Mitchell, you know, we've heard all year long how smart he is how much he can digest this offense, and really that's a lot of what a Randy Sanders offense takes, right, because they want to install so much every week, and that's something Austin Herrick has talked off air and a little bit on air with us about when he had some success. He wasn't even getting it all. You know, he maybe wasn't as smart as a Trey Mitchell and wasn't able to go out there and do as much in terms of on the mental side of things as Trey was. He was just better at breaking the pocket, going and doing some things with his legs. So with it being wide open, with Tyler Idell doing a few things late on and showing a lot against Mercer, I think that was a positive. Trey Mitchell um, with the 11 touchdowns and six interceptions, that's a good ratio. He obviously made some mistakes as well. But uh, with the spot open, very excited to see I'm hoping all those guys are back. If they're not, who does come back, and then who comes in and what they bring? You know, certainly if you follow Twitter, there's been people that commit to the school. You can Mm -hmm. follow that along. So, uh, obviously, we can't comment on any of that, but uh, not just that position, but other positions you can follow along. So, some of this conversation, if you're maybe screaming at the podcast, wanting to know why we're not talking about certain people who – and the other thing is, just because they've committed, they've not signed. Right. And as we learned in men's basketball – there were four people committed before this early signing. It's come and gone, and only one guy signed on the dotted line. So it, it, until they're signed, and they got a December period, then, of course, they've got the three days in December and then the big signing day the first Wednesday in February, which, of course, we'll be following and doing a bunch of uh, – uh, we'll podcast the heck out of that like we did last year. I think we had like an hour and a half. It was very long. I think the longest I, one until like last week, which is an hour boss, and a half. But I'll say this. I mean, we, we were we were on it. I mean, it was, yeah. it was some, we, we actually had about six other guys we were prepared for that, that didn't sign, and then we did get one curveball thrown at us when Wilson signed. Right. Isaiah, we weren't 11th prepared hour, for yeah. All right, running backs. I mean, your top five guys that played are back. Uh, Quay Holmes will be a junior. Richard Jr., Sailors Jr., Malik McGue, Sr., Jalen Williams, Richard Sophomore, DJ Twitty, Richard Sophomore. All 
guys had carries at some point in time. Randy, they, go ahead. I was going to say, and if Williams didn't, they had designed a few plays for him. Uh, I know they had designed a reverse for him that they were going to work in the Mercer game, but because Quay Holmes' first couple hitters were down the field, they just were not messing with any of that. We're just going straight ahead. And so kind of took Williams out of the game plan, but they were going to game plan to get him some carries. Randy Sanders has said that if there's talent, that is at the running back position, just because we have running backs, if they want to be here, then they need to come on and join us. He's not going to not recruit running backs just because there's all these guys back. That being said, you've got kind of a Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler with Holmes and Sailors where they can both be on the field an absolute ton, do a ton of different things. Obviously, Holmes is a record breaker, and he'll be back, and Sailors is someone that can do those versatile type things. So hope to see, I think, both on the field at the same time even more next year. And and I – I mean, I think that the the offense is always going to be run. I mean, I think when you play a pro-style type game that Randy Sanders wants to do, and, and it's still not a true pro-style game, but it's the most – out of most of the league, it's it's one of the more NFL-style games, right, because they still line up in I formation. They run counters. They do some things. Uh, the way they read, progression, pass, all that, you know, there's not a lot of RPOs. It's not a lot of all that uh, even option, you know, two-back, three-back looks that – a lot of teams will give you an R league. So a true pro style like that, they, you need to have a couple of guys. And you need to, you know, and even more than that, they've got three or four guys that they're, they're willing to do it. But certainly it's going to start with Holmes and Sabres. I mean, it's just the whole offense again. No matter who's a quarterback, it's going to be those two guys starting with it. Wide receiver's a little interesting. Let's go over who's not going to be back. Uh, obviously, Spagnoletti graduates. Uh, Braxton Richburg did walk. He's a redshirt junior. If he wanted to stay, he could. If he wanted to go, he could graduate transfer. Maybe he just wants to hang it up. But he did on senior day walk and, and do the ceremony which mean tells me he's not coming back right uh jamal couch not sure he's got a year if he wants to come back uh and then after that you're looking at will huzzy redshirt sophomore julian lane price saw some action retro sophomore desi lester didn't see a lot but he'll be a redshirt sophomore isaiah wilson played five games before getting hurt that's really kind of sad but they're not going to throw him a bone after having the four game uh, rule put into place and then you got uh on oh, keith coffee i forgot keith keith mm-hmm. will be a redshirt senior after that you're looking at Four redshirt freshmen, uh, Deshaun McKinney, Riley Bryant, um, uh, Genovani Dyer, but uh, Zales Alexander's the guy that I've seen him and Ford Cooper on scout team who's a mm. quarterback. Those guys have a nice little connection, I'll say. They, they, I, I, Alexander out of those guys. Now, I, don't, I didn't see a lot of scout team. I did on, on Thursdays and Fridays try to go over and watch some things, and those guys did stick out. Now, they're also running other teams' stuff, so how do they work into the understand? There's a lot to be there. But a little bit deep, um, can he get guys healthy? Can he get them on the same time? I know they're certainly wanting to get a little more explosive still at that position, mm-hmm. but the cupboard's really not going to be bare because you could turn around and go, okay, Keith Coffey, Will Huzzy and Isaiah Wilson could, could step in right now and be a starter, and I think most people would be happy about that. Too, Technically, right? Coffee and Huzzy led the Bucks in receiving. I mean, it was only 342 yards and 306 yards, but those are, well, pardon me, Anthony Spagnoletti had 317, but you look at yards per game in terms of games played, it was Huzzy and Coffee, and then Isaiah Wilson, I agree. I mean, when he started to come on before he was off the field, he started to look like someone that could be very consistent, and you've got a game-breaker in Will Huzzy. How consistent can he be? Right, talking about consistency, and that's something that Randy Sanders has really challenged his guys to become is more consistent and make those plays that they haven't seen a lot of those uncommon plays to steal a phrase from Coach Zell for Monday night's uh, post game show up at Appalachian State. Those uncommon plays, but you're absolutely right. I think 
at the end of it all, you can look at the roster, who's been on it, who isn't going to be on it going into the coming year, and the end result will still be in Randy Sanders' mind. We have to get more explosive. So that's a place where I expect them to go really, really hard. And I was really excited about the class that they brought in. Unfortunately, things, for one reason or another, didn't work out this year with some of those guys, uh, specifically Wilson not being on the field there in the latter half of the year and, and Couch just not seeing the field a ton. I think it's time to reload, go get some more playmakers, and hopefully have a wide receiving core that can be the most explosive since ETSU has brought football back. I, and that's what you've been waiting on. My, that's exactly been, right. been waiting on that for a while. Exactly right. Waiting on quarterback, waiting on receivers to, to really get down the field and, and open up the off. You know, again, I – I, I think I was arguing with uh, Wildrum. I was like, you know, I, is, it, is it bad? I just, I just want 550 yards a game of offense. I know that's, that's a bit stout, but, I mean, run for, you know, or even let's say 450. Throw for 250, run for 200. I mean, is that too much to ask? I, like, for Matt Wildrum, no, because that's what he's expected the entire year. So Yeah, he thinks I'm crazy, but I'm thinking that's, that's where the offense could get if, if Randy Sanders gets it where he's going. Uh, fullback, uh, Juwan Martin. Starts there at ends there. Richard excited Sophomore. for more he, touchdown he, catches. He Very is, excited. Uh, you know I am. He's certainly not going anywhere. Uh, so you look at that. Then... The rest, and they lose Jordan Anderson, who's the graduate transfer. So you, you you take Anderson out. Martin's the fullback now. The tight end situation, they love they love the tight the coaching staff and Randy Sanders love the tight end position. Nate Atkins will be a junior. Then you're looking at a couple of uh, uh, redshirt sophomores and Zeb Petty and Dawson Pearson. Now Pearson was an offensive lineman. We saw him be a lot more of a blocker. And then here's a couple of freshmen to keep an eye on, on that they really love. Jay Frierson is one. Noel West, who we saw have the, the carry, the 41-yard gain. Uh, Tim Stayskull is another one. And then so West, Stayskull, Atkins, Frierson, Pearson, those five guys. I know Hewitt's in there as well as a, will be a redshirt junior, but those previous five guys, they're going to run a lot of two tight end sets next year, I believe. Let me ask you this because you've seen them more than I've seen them. Are there any guys you can stand up and put in a slot? And use like maybe a Travis Kelsey, uh, you know Rob Gronkowski when he was doing those kind of things. The guys that can stand up and play in multiple positions. Uh, you know, Atkins is starting to get there. Right. Uh, I think probably either Frierson or West would would be the next best option there. And I think because Frierson was a tailback and West was a quarterback, so I, I think both and and West was again was an option quarterback. So there was a lot where he had the ball in his hands in open space. And so I think other than just learning how to put his hand in the ground or, or line up off the ball a little bit in the slot, I, you know, to me, I think those two guys are the, the best. Both those guys have great hands, too. I mean, just really understand the game, great hands. You, you throw Atkins out there. Pearson's had a catch or two, but for the most part, it's going to be the blocking tight end. Stacecoe's another guy that, that they said has just come along and from the beginning of this year to where the, the end of the year was. Like, you know, they were like, that's a guy that could really help us. They're, they're pretty excited. If the receiving core doesn't kind of come around, he feels good about two tight ends. Well, and that's exactly where I was going with that. When you don't maybe have those explosive weapons on the outside at the receiver position, this is why I always bring up Jacob Sailors and standing him up and putting him in a slot or out wide and using him like a quote-unquote Austin Eckler out with L.A. Chargers that can just catch a lot of balls and uh, make plays at different positions on the field and be a running back. But then when it's Quay Holmes in the backfield because you want Quay Holmes in the backfield as much as you can, then have Jacob Sailors somewhere else on the field if you do that plus a combo of maybe a Nate Adkins in the slot and someone like a Noah West that can stand up and catch passes that can mask some of that issue with the receiving core so the more you do creative things like that um, the more I like your chances if you don't get who you want a receiver or if guys that come in don't pan out 
Let's talk about the offensive line because that's that's maybe where they lose the most. Um, Up front on each side, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, the, the defense is all, all gone. gone. Yeah. yeah, it's unbelievable. Offense will start first. The only two guys that are coming back are Traymond Shorts uh, and then um, Tavon Matthews. So those are the two guys that are back. Now, Cameron Parker could have come back. So could Eddie Gajardo. Both those guys have graduated. And um, for Cameron Parker, once Eddie Gajardo said he was gone, his other uh, teammates that he hung out with the most were Mason McNutt, Ben Blackman, Miles Smith, all graduating. So that's five linemen. Two could have come back, decided to go on with life. Coach Sanders says, you know, listen, some guys, you know, you play four years, you earn a degree. It's just you're not going to the next level. Some people are like, hey, I gave you all I could. Right. That's what happened. I think Fred Norman is going to be the right tackle. I think Traymond Shorts is going to be right guard. Tavon Matthews stay at left guard. And then I think there's one or two guys that could be left tackle. I think one's a local product to be a redshirt freshman in Blake Austin. And in case in sets of corn is a redshirt redshirt sophomore next year. I think those two guys will battle out. Now, they still need a center. I don't want to speculate because I have no idea who would be the next center because all three guys that were snapping the ball this year or practicing snapping the ball this year are not going to be on the roster. And Ben Blackman did a heck of a job moving over to take oh, over that and, position. And even Mason McNutt and the, the few snaps, and he didn't play a lot, but he got in for a couple snaps here and there. He did great, too. Max Howell was a guy who's a offensive lineman out of West Virginia, highly touted. His teammate was the number one offensive lineman in the country, signed just down the road in Knoxville, Tennessee. So, uh, you know, you get him pedigree sort of working alongside there. Jacob Hensley's another guy. You know, does Bryson Castile take a step forward? It'll be interesting to see, but there, there are some moving pieces. They need more offensive linemen. I mean, they, they need to get some depth. It was the most deep position two years ago. They've lost five and five. They've lost ten guys in the, in the last couple of years. They've got to get a little deeper at that. And I think the starting five is going to be fine. I think maybe – I think Coach O'Kane used to say, well, really, I used to think about seven, right? I got two guards and a spare, two tackles and a spare. I got a center – and I don't know if I got a backup center or the guard can snap it too. But right. but but basically that was his technique was you, you had eight guys, seven to eight offensive linemen you have to feel real good about. And maybe you just you can get there, but they still need more depth at that position. And I think that's all critical to not just who the quarterback's going to be, but how's that run game going to be with everything else. But I do think the line is going to look different. I, there are There's a part of me that says the right side of the line with Big Fred is going to be better. Well – no one likes Big Fred Norman more than yourself. I feel like he is probably your favorite person on the team at he, this point. He is, it's really, first of all, he's a great kid to even enter. Him and Jay Frierson, great kids to interact with, and I've done that. But when you see him on the field, A, he's also one of the guys that's 6'7", 295, and dances with a defensive lineman. Like, he's out there moving and shaking. But the other thing is, is he's not afraid to pancake a guy, flex on him, and then go uh, meat hook uh, some teammates there. So I, I'm just I, – I think him and Shorts are going to be an awfully tough right side of the line. I mean, when you get offers, legitimate offers from Marshall, East Carolina, and they're concerned about the grade aspect of it, and what we know now is that Big Fred's apparently almost blind in each – like 2060. Wow. And he didn't know that. And now it's turned around. His academics this semester has turned around since his eyes got checked. Interesting. His personality's changed. Everything has kind of gone with it. And and they, I mean, he could play, and they would have played him more if they went to burn a red shirt, but it came down to do we want to burn a red shirt or do we want him for four more years? 
and that's the decision. Or he would have played more the last. He would have played last game for sure. Probably would have played about midway through the year. I think Blake Austin, the kid that was already signed with Coastal or committed to Coastal Carolina from Science Hill, come. I think uh, Seth Corn's another guy that that's, has grown in strength tremendously. Max Howell's better. So I, offensive line is going to be. It's not going to be bare. What we're going to talk about now is bare, and that's the defensive line. And let's see. Uh, let's go over everybody you do lose. I'm going to go uh, this here player. Okay. Jason Madua-Fakwa. All right. Austin Rowe. Uh-oh. Elijah Juan Pinkleton. Oh, boy. All gone. I don't know. There you go. So, there. Uh, let's talk about guys you could have back that saw action, but they either set out to keep uh, the red shirt from going over. One's uh, Rodney Wright Jr., Max Evans. Uh, now, Cayman Cody was a redshirt freshman. He plays as a redshirt sophomore. He was for a while that fourth guy, it seemed like. Yes, yeah, it was no doubt. Uh, he, he got probably the most time. And then Trey Middleton came in in a spot start and played very well. Yep. He got his games in four games. Um, actually started as an, a linebacker. Now he's at uh, a defensive end position. A couple of the guys to look at. And, you know, Logan Shipley's number. Javon Hurd is guys that maybe people forgot about because he had a foot injury didn't play all year actually had backed up and played some defensive in the previous year. And Drew Bowens is another guy with Max Evans, who's a true freshman, who will be a redshirt freshman. So they, they're just young. How are they going to be able to do? Dadley Lewis, he's been around for a while. So a lot of quite – plus they're probably going to bring more guys in. Let's just be honest. They, if we were talking about offensive line needing more guys, defensive line needs more depth. And I think that's clearly – you know, if you had to pencil in a starting lineup like right this second, which is the way too early, nobody would know for sure. Cayman Cody, Javon Hurd, Trey Middleton, or or Rodney Wright, Trey Middleton, Cayman Cody would, would probably be your guys if you had to go right this second. But you're still talking about redshirt sophomore, uh, redshirt sophomore, and redshirt sophomore. There you go. Definitely has to be addressed. I mean, every one of them finished with 45 tackles this year, 20 and a half combined tackles for a loss, eight and a half sacks, and this year player of the defensive player of the year in the preseason. Jason Madua-Fakwa benches like 7,000 pounds. And Austin Rowan was just stepping in this year, but anchored the middle of that line. And what they do up front affects every level of the defense. You know, you have to have space eaters and athletes on the outside in the scheme that ETSU runs, and they have to be able to create pressure but also fill their gaps and open things up for the linebackers. And whatever happens in the front seven is going to affect the back four because you have to have, you know, so on and so forth. If you get pressure, then that's less time that you have to cover, et cetera, et cetera. So that is a massive area of need. Of course, this year player losing him is uh, unthinkable, unimaginable to be able to describe how much that will hurt because he is just everything to the Southern Conference on the defensive side of the ball, let alone ETSU. Um, and Madua Fakwa and Rowan, uh, specifically Madua Fakwa, just because um, of what he was able to produce. Uh, those three, I think for me, this is the number one group that you need to address in the offseason uh, with offensive line, maybe a close second. So you take a look at linebacker. Now, there was some things with the, the linebacking position that they just got really, really, really thin at some point in time. But, you know, Jared Folks will, will be gone, and Davis is gone, but everybody else is back. So Blake Bockroth would, would be one of your starters as a redshirt senior. Zach Yancey would be a senior. Donovan Manuel is going to be a redshirt sophomore. And Colton Lakes would be a senior. Then you got guys like Steven Scott that I think could step in. And then from there is DeAndre Davis, who's very highly recruited, that the 
redshirted this season, played just a couple. Jalen Porter, are they going to let him play outside linebacker? Is he going to play more defensive end? We'll wait and see. Right now listed as outside linebacker. When Blake Bockworth was out, he played that outside stand-up linebacker position. Tied for second on the team with three and, and a half sacks. I mean, I think there's there, there's definitely the starters are there. Um, starters are there. You've got one or two backups that, that they just they need some of those young guys to either develop or they need a couple of more guys in, at the inside linebacker uh, position specifically to help out there because at the end there were there were two inside linebackers yeah. for Vanderbilt that, and that was it just the injuries and other things going on so um, they return a few guys are they going to be able to step up they need to bring more I think inside linebacker defensive line is the most to be concerned about now secondary is interesting because you really lost Jeremy Lewis Unless my math is incorrect. Oh, Artavia Artavia Smith. Smith yeah. I'm sorry. Artavia Smith and Jeremy Lewis is it. That's the two guys you lost. Artavia's a big loss, as it turns out. That being said, if you looked at Twitter, MJ Woods uh, has put it out there on Twitter that he is – Public knowledge. I think we can say that, right? He is he – is, uh, yes, he's not a recruit. We can talk right. about him. So, But he has said that uh, he's going to enter the transfer portal. So that takes away one starter. That one of your said, seven interceptions, I think so. Karan DeLentz is going to be at one corner. I think you're either going to see Dylan Henderson or Quinn Smith, and both those guys I think kind of prove they could play a little bit. And then I think maybe Dwayne Ruff is the guy that starts at the other um, position. I think – oh, Tyler Murphy also is listed here as a sophomore. That's incorrect. He was a senior. But he ended up moving to outside linebacker. But uh, Elijah Huzzy ended up playing four games, had a red shirt. Eric Campbell certainly has shown some things that he could do. So I, I think this is still going to be a great group. I, I think, again, if you go to Lance and Henderson – uh, Quinn Smith, you go rough, you go Robinson, you could still throw Eric Campbell one of the safeties, you could put Elijah Hussey who could play a couple different positions, so they've got six or seven pieces that could probably play today and have a pretty good squad, so I feel really good about the secondary would I like to have MJ Woods back? Absolutely I think he makes plays I think he's proven that when he's on the field so wish him the best in whatever endeavor he goes with, but I think there's still enough pieces there, I think guys as they get more playing time will be able to help because basically Karan DeLentz will go to the boundary corner, the short side. He'll play a lot of one-on-one like Jeremy Lewis did. And, of course, Karan's the best runner on the team. I mean, track speed, just flat-out top-end speed. So I feel good about that. Can Quinn Smith size, can he get a little stronger, make some open field tackles. Dylan Henderson, you know, sort of his reading, the, the keys a little bit. Like, how can they go? But I think the secondary at all the defense, maybe outside linebacker and second – and all of the secondary, I feel pretty good about that coming back. What gets overshadowed and we haven't talked about a lot, and it's an obvious thing, so we probably should have harped on it a bit more during the season, but Tyree Robinson missed four games, and a couple of the games that he did play, he had a broken hand. And so he wasn't the ball hawk that he was the year before. For some of those games, he just flat out couldn't catch, but he also broke up eight passes and defended eight more and had 50 tackles with three tackles for a loss so when he was out there he was still all over the field and it was despite the fact that he wasn't 100 percent the entire time he was out there you and me have both had people tell us that he is one of the most gifted football players that they've been around and these are people that have been around a lot of football players at a high level so just to have him back at 100 percent, and you hope that no more injuries come his way next year because I think he served his time on the sidelines you need somebody like that out there and that certainly hurt this year so to be able to have a little bit of depth back there even without MJ Woods as it looks from his Twitter announcement and have Robinson back healthy again I'm still very confident in the secondary very confident that's at all those defensive groups the secondary I think I feel the best about 
Uh, real quick, special teams, and I do want to get to the uh, all-conference uh, selections. Do oh, want, sure. I don't want to rattle past that too much. But Dustin Nichols is going to be the him and uh, Landon Kunak. So Nichols, your long snapper. And then you look at Landon Kunak, uh, obviously the kickoff specialist. So uh, Jake Heyer, uh, red-shirted. I'm assuming him or Chandler Mullins. Of course, his brother uh, was a long snapper for four years. The Mullins boys from Elizabeth. That's where the famous line from – Coach Sanders says, I'm not real sure what, what's wrong with a family who wants to play catch, throwing the ball between her legs. But that's the only way apparently they know how to play catch, which was a pretty good line. But Tyler Keltner, great freshman year. Garrett Taylor, I think they're only going to get bigger stronger. One of those guys will figure out the kickoff situation. Logan Bowers announced he's going to transfer. He was a backup kicker. Obviously, with Keltner getting all the playing time. Don't blame him. Bauer, yeah, you know, wish him the best, right? So that's a look at that real quick because I don't want to get too long because I do want to get to the playoffs. I do want to say – as expected, uh, even though the Bucks were a last-place team, uh, nine folks, 12 all-conference slots, right, nine coaches, three media, Nasir Player, Artavia Smith, not really a shocker, first team all SOCON on both the coaches and the media. Also uh, on the coaches' ballot, Ben Blackman and Nate Atkins. So those those are all first-teamers. Quay Holmes uh, was the coaches and media second-team squad. Tremont Shorts was just the coaches' uh, second team. And then the freshman Representatives Will Huzzy, Tyler Keltner, Donovan Manuel. I think all guys we would agree with. The coach of the year, I don't know how in the world the media voted Josh Conklin and uh, the coaches went Scott Walkenheim. I would have gone the coach. I would have gone Walkenheim. I, I don't think there was any doubt about it. Scott Walkenheim should have been the coach of the year. Uh, he got it from his peers, didn't get it from the media. The offense player of the year was Joe Newman. Willie Eubanks third was the uh, uh defensive player of the year and a limb forward was a freshman of the year and boy we saw no what he could do so to, to me those are I, I don't really have a lot to cry it's hard to gripe against Conklin he made the change they rolled through the conference just one loss they won the league sometimes that's the easy way to go about it but what's got walking time it is a lazy vote. take it's a lazy lazy vote. take all right we've talked about that somewhere else today all right let's uh step aside for a timeout I can't wait FCS playoffs. We're going to blow it up. Here we go. Coming back on the other side, Santo Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge. New name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Hey, Santa's is so excited. His bumper is back, and so is the segment. Is it done? Is it done? Oh my gosh, please cut it. All right, what uh last segment. FCS playoffs. I don't know what's the best way to attack this. I got it. All right. First round buys. Okay. NDSU, number one seed, no surprise. Number eight, Central Arkansas. Number two, JMU. Number seven, South Dakota State. Number four, Sacramento State. Number five, Montana State. Number three, Weber State. Number six, Montana. Four teams from the big sky. 
Weber State, Sacramento State, Montana State, and Montana with first round buys. That is crazy. Yeah, that's the that'd be my only thing. Uh, in Sacramento State's the UC Davis, right? Last year came out of nowhere, right. had a great year, and started. I mean, they had to win like a lot of games. You'd be considering top twenty-five. They kept knocking off people. Good story. Little shocked by all the love uh, for the Big Sky. I, I do think Midwest and West apparently pay a lot more attention to fcs than you think the, there's a midwest bias i do i no. do i think there is um a midwest bias as far as that that goes and it used to be a little bit the other way around but the truth is when you're in the south and sort of the, the northeast i mean sec does overshadow the southern conference just a little right i mean is that fair acc as well your words not mine things. but yes yeah, okay sure so you get out in the midwest there's just you know, there's not a lot. And, and yes, there's Big Ten teams here, but you get into a lot of those areas where... I like you're disparaging the soon-to-be national champion, Minnesota Golden Gophers. I'm all for them winning. I'm all just right. saying, like, when you get in the Dakotas and the Idahos and all these others, and this is their main draw, You there's just... It, it seems like that's what... I, plus the Missouri Valley, all that. Plus, there is a belief that there is... You know, the East bias, the Southern bias. So I think those there guys is an East Coast together. bias. Yeah, yes, there, there is an East Coast bias. No All question. right. So the only thing is, I think just having those, that many teams seated, nothing there struck me as egregious, though. Okay, let's break down all the matchups from the first round. Your thoughts. Nichols, North Dakota, for the right to face NDSU, number 19 in the country. Nichols, 8-4 and four in the Southland, won four straight to rally for this spot. They beat Southeastern Louisiana by one with a touchdown with 90 seconds to go, which I think very well could have gotten them this spot. Number 24, North Dakota, into the poll after not being in last week. 7-4 and four this year, their only loss in their last five to Weber State by three. Who do you like? Am I, can I put you on the spot here? I want- yeah, no, 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 North Dakota State. I'm going upset. I think North Dakota State will go... Well, North Dakota State doesn't have to play. So you're thinking North Dakota. Oh, yeah. Well, can I still take North Dakota State? <laughs> you can. I mean, North Dakota. I want to say North Dakota I State's want, waiting for here, them. And, and a little bit of this is me. I'm going to be there the next week when the winner of that game plays North Dakota State. Mm. I've already talked about getting press passes. I'm going to be on the sideline. And I want to see North Dakota, North Dakota State. So I'm going to go Same. North Dakota State in the upset. I definitely do, too. SEMO versus Illinois State for the right to face Central Arkansas. Last time we left you, we haven't really done, like, the top 25, the stats FCF's right. top 25 in, like, three or four weeks. But SEMO was totally out of the poll, and we're hovering around 500. But they've won their last six, and they're up to 12 in the poll. Number 12 in the country in the stats FCS top 25. Four of those six games, they won by one score. While Illinois State is just 2-2 two and two in their last four. Their offense hasn't really scored all year, but they are sixth in the nation in scoring defense at just under 18 per game. I always marvel at how Illinois State wins games, and I don't think it's going to happen this week, but I also don't like SEMO, so I don't know who to take. Who are you taking? That is a good question. I've gone, I have gone back and forth on that, and I think... SEMO is going to squeak one out by a field goal, but that Illinois State is one of those. Every time I think I pick against them, they win. It's one of those deals. Like, if you pick against them, they win. And when you think they're dead and buried, you know, they come back and haunt you with a W. But, uh, Simo, I think, at home has a slight advantage. I'll take Simo. Going back, if Nichols, who ended up tied with Central Arkansas for the Southland Conference title, if they would have lost to Southeastern Louisiana in that game where they won by one, they would have ended up six and three. Southeastern Louisiana, who's in anyway, would have ended up seven and two. Do you think Nichols still gets in? Tough to say. It, Sam it, Houston State missed out. Let me, let me, and they were six and three. You want to wait to for my who, who got hosed? Okay, uh, okay, the okay, end? Perfect, okay, okay. I don't want to ruin all that. No, that's good. Okay. Monmouth and Holy Cross for the right to face James Madison or get absolutely crushed by James Madison, depending on how you look at it. It is eight straight wins though for Monmouth. 
And over the last seven, they're averaging 44 points per game. They're only losses to Western Michigan and Montana this year. They've got the nation's leading rusher in Pete Guerrero, nearly 1,700 yards. A five-loss Holy Cross team, the only Patriot League team with a winning record overall, is their opponent. This is going to be, I think, a tough one for them as Monmouth is rolling. And Monmouth's going to roll. I mean, it's a two-three touchdown game. I don't think there's any doubt. Monmouth playing the the best football out of the, the Big South and played the toughest competition out of anybody in the Big South as well. So I'm going to go Monmouth, and that one should be fairly easy. And then they'll get the juggernaut of JMU. Northern Iowa versus San Diego for the right to face South Dakota State. You and I have only lost to NDSU. South Dakota State, Weber State, and Iowa State this year. They're 8-4. and four. They won five of their last six. They ended second in the Missouri Valley Conference. San Diego, the champions of the Pioneer League, third highest scoring team in the nation. UNI is 14th in the nation in scoring defense. Really think this one will be a solid contest between those two. I do. I think that's going to be actually one of the more entertaining games. I think there's about two or three that, that are going to be very tightly contested. And again, San Diego... Pioneer League, right? No scholarship. They're always there. They always seem to figure out a way. But when they get in the playoffs, it's just the depth becomes an issue. And I think late in that game, you and I will, will take control of that and pick up the victory. Albany versus Central Connecticut Ooh, State out of the horrific Northeastern Conference. But you know we do love our Central Connecticut State on this show. For the right to face Montana State, number 17 in the nation, our Central Connecticut and number 25, Albany. Of course, a couple weeks ago, it was Central Connecticut needing overtime to beat St. Francis, but they did it. They ended the season 11-1. and Their only loss, as we've chronicled often on this show, the flubbed punch. I know, it's unbelievable. Against Eastern Michigan. Uh, yeah, Eastern Michigan, right? Yeah. Yes. Eastern it Michigan. It was. Uh, Albany finished second in the CAA behind one of the favorites, James Madison. Some good wins after they were 3-3 three and three through 6. They beat Towson yep. on the road, beat New Hampshire on the road, yep. and their last and four wins by one score. Pick. You're not going to believe my pick. You're not going with Albany, are you? Let me tell you about the Great Danes, oh, baby. Oh, come on. Jeff, Don't do this to me. Quarterback Jeff Underclifford. Oh, wow. Yes. What is that? Jeff Underclifford. 33 touchdowns, 3,000 yards passing has come on as of late, and I'm going the Great Danes to right. knock off my Central Connecticut State. Your Central I, Connecticut I've State. Been, I've, been, I've been pulled oh, from all here. Get out actually, of here. Actually, the truth is I basically just want to name drop all the famous alums they have. But, no, I think the great – I am. I'm going Great Danes. Albany will win that game. I have never hated you more, and that is saying a lot. It's Austin James Underclifford. Or Jeff. I don't even know his name. <laughs> Jeff <laughs> Underclifford. Jeff <laughs> Underclifford. Clifford the Big Red Say Dog it. is leading them into the battle. Uh, okay. Austin Peavers, Furman for the right to face Sacramento State. Pump for this one. Mark Hudspeth wins OVC Coach of the Year. And since losing to the box. Remember that one, to the box, 20-14. to 14. The Governors have lost just once, a 26-24 to 24 loss to Tennessee State. A win over SEMO earlier this year. That looks really good now. A two-score win over UT Martin, who are in the receiving votes category of the poll. Honestly, there wasn't a lot that would have given me the hint that Austin P would be here after that game against the box. The only reason they're not seated, because they lost to the box. That is it. That is the Did only, you think that they this would was be possible 10 and two. after watching they that ETSU Austin no, game? Right? No, they would be 10-2. and two. I mean, the, the the two losses, uh, um, Central Arkansas and the FBS game, right? That that That's it. The ETSU loss, people look at that when they're seeding that and they go, no, we'd rather throw the 19th uh, Big Sky team in as opposed to a team that lost ETSU. That's what I think. I think they said, you lost the last place Southern Conference team. There you go. I, uh, that being said, I think this is the one of the other three games that are going to come down to a last-second field goal two-point conversion, something another. I could see a, a 21-20, a 28-27, something like that. Furman, call me a homer. Furman Paladins. I don't love either team, quite honestly. I do not. They got flaws. 
They got flaws. Even a quarterback, they both got flaws. And I'm we going. saw the flaws against DTSU with both teams. So off either of those games, I'm not confident in anything with either of these teams. And Furman lost to Wofford and only put up seven points in what ended up being really and, a Southern Conference And they Conference have struggled, struggled to, after playing very well offensively, they have struggled. And I don't know if people took the blueprint, maybe ETSU did, because that was the first time they really slowed down uh, or what it was. But I, I think this is going to be a 21-20, maybe – 28-27, something like that. But I, I'm going to make call me a SoCon homer. I will take Furman. See, I think there's four games, if I'm counting right. I think UNI, San Diego. I think Albany Central Connecticut State could be really good. I think five games. I think Austin P and Furman. I think Albany blows them out, so that's where we're different. <laughs> I hate you. Albany uh, blows them out, baby. Southeastern Louisiana versus Villanova for the right to face Montana. I think this one's going to be good. Number 26 in the country, Sella, just outside the FCS Top 25. 38 points per game while Villanova is scoring 37 points per game. Count this one as like a 55-52 shootout. I'm pumped for this one, and I think it's going to be really competitive on the high end offensively. And the, the problem is Villanova has a, a great knack for having every two or three years great offense, get in the playoffs, and then for whatever reason struggling in the first round of the playoffs on the road. So that would lead me to believe that they would struggle on the road and lose. I'm going to say they buck the trend uh, and beat – Seller, whatever you call them. I, I, I do. Southeast Louisiana. I, I it, it should be if, if, if they lose, this is what Villanova has done over a 20 year period, including the game back here in 1996 when they came in the dome, highly touted, ranked. Now, granted, it's a very good, obviously, TSU team. The, you can still argue best in school history that in the 69 team, but still, that's what Villanova does. They, they score a lot of points every few years. They get in the playoffs. They have to go on the road. And then for some reason, they just can't do it in the playoffs. And that would lead you to believe that. I'm going to say they buck the trend and finally win a road playoff game in the first round. You know what I've saved for last. Wofford and Kennesaw State. Your Kennesaw State house. For the right to face Weber State, Kennesaw played two good teams, Kent State and Monmouth. Lost to both of them. They won by only three over Campbell, who hasn't won in a month. Terriers, Thrash, Owls. Go Wofford. I I agree. I think it'll Plain be a little closer. Here's the only reason I think it'll be closer. Garbage. They play the exact same style. I mean, the exact same style. The other thing, Kennesaw State's beat them last two times they played. They got that going for them. Do I think Wofford wins? Yes. But I I don't think it's a thrashing. I think Wofford ends up winning. Four I, touchdowns. I think a lot of the things that everyone keeps saying was the fourth best rushing team in Wofford versus the best rushing team versus Kennesaw State and FCS. It's the the best defense, but you look at it, they played like three non D ones. There's a lot yeah. of things that they got a D two rushing game. Wofford has a D one rushing game. So uh, I think Wofford. Now that being said, I think you could have either left Kennesaw State would have been great. Or Southeast Louisiana at home and Southern Illinois should have been in. That Southern Illinois is the biggest one looking at everything and, and I was all in on the Saturday night projections by everybody and scouring sites and seeing and, and comparing notes and texting back and forth with a few guys like Keith Brake, a few other guys that care uh, about this, uh, SoCon John. And we're going back and forth doing all this. And I really thought out of all of my thoughts, South, Southern Illinois was a lock for most of us. And Towson was on the cusp, but I'm not that upset that Towson – like you, you could easily sell me on uh, Southeast Louisiana over Towson. I'm sad Tom didn't, didn't I don't it. know you could sell me over Kennesaw State over Towson, but that being said, I think the biggest uh, shocker for me was that Southern Illinois – did not uh, get in over one of two teams. That being said, this was one of the better, easier ones to sort of predict. Sometimes there's there's five or you know maybe not five, but there's three or four you feel like got left out. You re- that's the the you could make an argument for Towson. You certainly could, but I think Southern Illinois for sure uh, would has a great argument. 
Towson has an you know well, maybe the next best. How do you leave out Tom it. Flacco? I just don't understand. I don't. I don't either. I don't a better either. Flacco. What about what about Jeff Underclipper? Uh, I'm more of a Tom Flacco Boom. guy. Yeah, that's right. All right. I guess next week we'll do some predictions on the uh, the next round. Why Sounds not? good. Have a little fun. Well, we got no more Austin. Are, are you are, are you taking North Dakota? Are you going North Dakota State? Or are you going the field? I can't bet against the team that's won what seven of the last eight. Yeah. And I don't bet because it's football and we're NCAA employees. But if I were to, I would have to take the Bison. It's like betting against Tiger Woods when he was on a great roll. I, I, I am a in firm believer. Someone has to prove to me they're going to beat him. And even when someone proves that they can beat a favorite like that, I still go with the favorite, like the Patriots. They may not win every year, but I'm still going to go with them every year because they prove they can win at a higher clip. This proves that you're smart sometimes. I can't believe I'm giving compliments to your team after you destroyed my Central Connecticut State team. I'll talk Don't to ever you, uh, claim Central Connecticut I mean, I, State I know again. this is Wednesday. Happy Thanksgiving to you, buddy. And yeah, I'll talk yeah. to you from uh, Arkansas on Saturday. Oh, Same yeah, Saturday, like I suppose. Bye, okay. right. Guess what? Happy Thanksgiving. Bye, Daniel. See ya.